what Corona and the pandemic did for me is it allowed me to get much closer to nature. Al Jazeera senior foreign correspondent Stephanie Decker is often on the go. Stephanie Decker, Al Jazeera, Gaza. Stephanie Decker, Al Jazeera, Kutubalong Camp, southeastern Bangladesh. Stephanie Decker, Al Jazeera, Gaziantep. But the coronavirus pandemic meant that she, like everyone else, found herself stuck in one place. Specifically, Doha, Qatar, Al Jazeera's network headquarters. That's where she filmed an episode of Talk to Al Jazeera about the country's mostly unexplored wildlife in the face of rapid development. Qatar is one of the richest nations in the world per capita, thanks in large part to its oil and gas reserves. And the country has directed a good amount of that wealth towards development, including mega projects like the 2022 World Cup or the Pearl, an artificial island off the country's coast. So as the world marks Earth Day on April 22nd, we're looking at the impact that development has on Qatar's other resource, its natural beauty. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. The coronavirus pandemic basically turned Stephanie into a nature documentarian. But she first pitched a story on whale sharks long before COVID was part of our regular vocabulary. So I pitched it around 10 years ago. I never got around to it because I was never in Doha at the time because it's just a couple of months that they're there. So due to corona, I was in Doha for five months straight, which never would happen. At some point, I was sitting around doing nothing. And I thought, well, now's the time to try and piece this together because there is so much wildlife in Qatar that people don't know about. Initially, in, in February, I did a story on the dugongs. And if you don't know what a dugong is, you're not alone. We'll get to them in a bit. And then during Corona, the professor that I met doing the dugong story, he messaged me with pictures of birds and like crazy pictures of birds. I was like, is this, is this David Attenborough? Where, where are you, <laughs> professor? And it was Qatar. And then all of a sudden I was like, you know what? Let's just go on a journey because nobody sees Qatar this way. I've known this because I used to kite surf. So I've seen flamingos. I've seen turtles. I saw the dugong. I knew about whale sharks. But in general, people do not know about that kind of wealth of wildlife that Qatar has. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, having lived there for four years, <laughs> I watched your pieces and I was really mad at myself for never venturing out to those parts. It's just that beautiful nature. I had no idea. When the pandemic hit, people were interacting with these areas even less than they were before. And that had big effects on animals, like birds. This northern part of Qatar, really not many people come here. So it's really nature left to itself. Throughout the documentary, Stephanie talked to Dr. Mohsen Al-Yafai. He's a marine environmentalist at Qatar University and the person she earlier compared to the famous natural historian, David Attenborough. Dr. Mohsen took her to an island off the country's northern coast, where thousands of cormorants, a medium-sized black bird with a long neck, return each night to sleep. Humans had their movement restricted, but now the birds had more freedom to spread their wings. In Qatar, people love to go out on their jet skis and on their boats. So there's a lot of activity uh, and traffic on the water. So what happened with the pandemic is that there was a stop to that. 
we went out on a boat when the lockdown was still there with special permission. And you could see, I mean, thousands of birds. They were coming closer to the coast. It, it seemed like they sort of regained their freedom to move, right? Because we had retracted. Um, and you saw that because you have an, an island just off the northern coast where these cormorants sleep. So what they do is when the sun rises, they go and feed all over Qatar. So we got to that place when the sun was setting, and it was incredible to see. And there were just thousands of them flying over our heads, going back to this island. Like, the sky was full. It was incredible. I certainly had never witnessed anything like it. Dr. Rohsen told Stephanie that nature was thriving while everyone was staying home. You can see a clear sky everywhere. The water become more clear, more fish coming close to the area. And uh, uh, that's tell us one thing, where is the human, where is the disaster? You know? But it doesn't take a pandemic for marine environmentalists like Dr. Mohsen to see how humans can cause environmental disaster. Stephanie was first introduced to Dr. Mohsen when she was working on a piece about an animal that has been endangered thanks to human activity. So the first piece that we saw from you this year on Qatar's wildlife was about the dugong. First off, what is a dugong? And and what was it like seeing something as rare as a herd of that size? You see, I, I think people don't really know what a dugong is. And it's it's related to the elephant, funnily enough. It's very close to a manatee. It's part of the same species, but it's not. And what's amazing about the dugong is it's kind of like an unattractive dumpling of an animal, but it like can weigh up to 400 <laughs> kilos. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it's got this really squashable nose. I think they're adorable. They're chopsters, right? They're kind of fat. And they all move together and you can hear them. It's almost like, I guess, walrus-like-ish in a way in terms of the heaviness of their breath, but you definitely hear them come up and like it's this heavy breath that they take, inhale and exhale and they go down again. And it's just, uh, I, I don't remember ever having heard a, a, a sea mammal breathe like that. Dugongs usually travel alone or in small groups. But seasonally, hundreds of them gather together just off the Qatari coast. Scientists don't know why they do this, and they've been trying to figure that out over the past few years. Over the course of his research, Dr. Wasson's gotten some pretty incredible drone footage that you can see in the documentary. There are hundreds and hundreds of these gray-brown mammals floating, almost on top of each other, in the turquoise water. But in person, it's pretty rare to see a herd the size of the one Stephanie saw up close. We were so lucky to see the herd. I mean, we'd been out filming a couple of days before and we hadn't seen them, but we had this incredible drone footage. So I was very excited about the report anyway. And I remember getting a call from one of the guys who does the research on the boat. And I said to him, listen, you're going to be excited. I've written the script. It looks great. We're putting it together. It's going to air tomorrow. And he said, Stephanie, I have even better news for you. We found the herd. So I literally got into my car with the cameraman, Jamil, and we hot-footed up north, uh, and they had a boat waiting for us. It was so lucky because even they had hardly seen the herd that close from the boat. And Qatar TV had been waiting five years to see the herd that close. And we, got, and we even got there before oh, them. Wow. <laughs> so it gives you a sense of how rare and how lucky we were. But the dugong still couldn't compete with Stephanie's favorite shoot out of the 11 she did for the documentary. Swimming with Whale Sharks with cameraman Nick Porter. 
this, I think, is the first time that I've seen a piece to camera or <laughs> a, a an intro directly into the camera from the sea. So kudos on that. On this edition of Talk to Al Jazeera. We'll yeah, that we were lucky because you can't, you know, the sharks can't come on cue. So we had, you know, you saw like I, I'm talking to Cameron. All of a sudden, this whale shark just goes underneath us and Nick just dives down. And we're lucky because we had another camera on the boat. So you caught the entire moment. So it was, yeah, it was surreal. Oh, my God, he came in the middle of us. So in your package, you said that swimming with whale sharks was a bucket list experience for you and a real privilege. Can you tell me more about what that experience was like? So it was a 3 a.m. wake up call, which usually would be pretty painful. But because we were going to see the whale sharks, I think we were super excited. We got to the boat about like five o'clock. The sun was rising and we were all already sweating because it was so humid. But it didn't matter because all of us had a buzz. We were two cameramen, myself. They'd also never been. So there was a real sense of anticipation and also would we see them? Because nothing is guaranteed when it comes to nature, right? It's not like we can produce it and expect someone to show up at 9.05. No, it doesn't happen that way. So it was a two-hour boat ride out. Amazing dolphins, spinner dolphins and bottlenose dolphins. The bottlenose are sort of more relaxed. And then you've got the spinner dolphins who are much more playful and like flirtatious and they're fast and they play with the boat. That already had us completely giddy. And then all of a sudden you see the sea full of fins. This is incredible. They're everywhere. Everywhere. And it's not like a a scary shark fin. It's this kind of softer, rounded fin, and they're everywhere. And I was certainly very, very excited. Um, There's hundreds of them, and they come so close to the boat. And then it was time to get in. So Nick and I had been sort of discussing how we were going to feel. We didn't know. We'd never swum with anything that big before. Would we be intimidated? But it wasn't at all. The water was really murky. The visibility was not great. You can't really see them until you're really quite close to them. And I'm talking a meter and a half. I mean, as close as that. And they seem to go very slowly. But when you swim next to them, you realize how fast they're actually going and how much energy it takes to keep up with them. And it was exhausting. Whale sharks are huge. They're the biggest fish in the world. But they're gentle giants and filter feeders, eating mostly fish eggs. Even still, swimming with whale sharks isn't something you should just go out and do on your own. While tourists can do guided swims with them in places like Mexico, Steph had to do a lot of planning for this shoot, like waiting for the right weather and getting permissions to take the boat out during the pandemic. And watching the film, you can tell Steph's a strong swimmer. But she says the big fins and goggles they wore helped her keep up with these massive animals. I was completely awestruck the first time I was next to one. I mean, I got into the water and Nick, the cameraman, didn't have his fins yet. We were supposed to stick together, obviously, because he needs to get the shot. (laughs) I was like, I don't care. I don't need the shot right now. (laughs) I just went off and it was just incredible. You can see their eyes. You can see them glide and feed. You can see the sucker fish stuck to them. Some of them were bright yellow. And it's this symbiotic relationship of nature that feed off each other. They're all sort of beneficial to each other. Uh, And it's incredible to witness. And you did feel like they were allowing you to be there because one hit of his tail or one smack into you, which could be very easily done, and they're massively powerful. So you realize that they were just completely unfazed by you, which also makes you feel a little guilty about what man does. 
to animals, right? Does remind you of all, all the damage that we do to them. The whale shark, like the dugong, is endangered, and rapid development is harmful to these threatened species. It means there are more and more massive high-rises on Qatar's coast, more plastics on its beaches, more fishing nets capturing animals like the dugong. We know there's a dark side to covering endangered species like whale sharks and dugongs. Can you tell me about some of the causes of their decline in the wild that you saw while reporting? The obvious answer and the main answer is man, right? It's us. What we touch when it comes to nature is destructive, particularly when it comes to the dugong. It's fishing nets. We saw a dead dugong and they're washed up a lot. And it's basically it's something called bycatch. They get entangled in these massive fishing nets and they can't breathe because they need to come up for air. Um, so that's the main thing. And also habitat loss in the sense of uh, seagrass loss. So the only thing they eat is seagrass. So if, if that is destroyed because of coastal development, then you will no longer have the dugong. So you need to protect these areas. I was talking to a, a couple of scientists and they've been in Qatar for you know over 15 years. He said, there's so much more boat activity now than there was 15 years ago. So you see these changes that man's footprint, man's development, what we do is pushing nature further and further away and, you know, obviously sometimes to extinction. Like the marine biologist she talked to, Stephanie has lived in Qatar for 15 years too. And she says the coastline looks visibly different than when she first arrived. So I arrived in Qatar in 2005, which sounds a long time ago, and it was very different. Now you've got this very impressive skyline, but none of that was there. Half of the hotels weren't there. The Pearl, which is a man-made island, wasn't there, was being constructed. So this has certainly changed uh, a lot over the last you know, 10 to 15 years. It's, it's developed at, at an incredible pace. So you see the, the coastline has developed to that extent, right? The fact that you had this beach that you accessed before, now there's no more beach. Now there's residential high-rises. So this is a change that is continuously happening. And obviously that's something we explored as well. What impact is that having on nature? Because of course it, you know, it has an impact. Throughout the documentary, Scientists told Stephanie that awareness is crucial to protecting these animals. What would you like to see done more to protect wildlife? I mean, be honest, what is your dream? There is two, one thing, keep everything as is it, don't touch it. Second, education for the new generation. I think raising awareness is, is something that's the first step, and that's what all of them told me. And also, I think what's so important when it comes to protecting wildlife, and we're talking about, you know, human development and protecting maybe a, a, a marine area, but also things like litter, right? Things like throwing out your trash. I was talking to José Saucedo, who's, a, who, who's a, a great guy who does beach cleanups and tries to raise awareness. And he was saying, listen, I want to make something very clear. This is not someone else's trash just because it's washed up from the water. This is our trash. You could have thrown this away 20 kilometers and, and it's ended up here and it doesn't decompose. Stephanie joined José on a cleanup to see just how much trash is on Qatar shores. What we can do is we can grab a bag very quickly and just emulate what we do in our cleanups uh, so you guys can see how quickly we fill up a bag. They're kneeling on a small stretch of beach, each holding a large, thick, white garbage bag. The bags fill up quickly, 
mostly thanks to empty water bottles scattered around the little plot of sand they're sitting on. We spent four or five minutes, maybe. We filled up a bag each. Each bag is around 12 kilos. Um, so you can do the math. And if... we've literally been in a tiny... Yeah. We haven't moved. Something I hope the film achieves is that if people are more aware that there's such beautiful, incredible, special things around us that we're privileged to host, I guess, in a way, that they take more care when it comes to driving on the beach or throwing things out of their car or dugongs as well, for example, can get killed by boat traffic because they don't see them. So it's just raising awareness. But awareness could have its own drawbacks. I was a bit worried when initially I just did a news report on the whale shark before we did the whole half hour. And I had a lot of people asking me how to get there and people wanted to go. And my first instinct was, oh my God, have I just opened a Pandora's box? So there is that delicate balance of like awareness, but don't go in and destroy it. And is that possible? Yeah, well, <laughs> it's very, it's, it's difficult, right? it's very clear that that what we touch we destroy most of the time right I'm, I'm generalizing but if you leave things alone and the professor said this uh, when we were on the boat actually speaking about the birds he said you know if you leave something alone anything even if it's damaged it will recover especially in the environment but if more pressure coming sure we're going to lose and i think that's a lesson that we may have done a lot of damage at this point in time, man, right? But it's not too late to take a step back and to try and protect and save and keep what we have because, I mean, the rate we're going, and we all know it's no secret, like we don't want to lose these incredible things. And I think this is also something that hit home when I swam with the whale sharks because they were so sort of graceful as hosts, were guests in their world. And you just watch them in there and they're not bothered by you. They're not aggressive to you. They're just doing their thing and you're watching them, but you realize what beauty there is. And we cannot afford to lose it. And that's The Take. If you'd like to see the whale sharks and dugongs for yourself, check out Stephanie's reporting in the Talk to Al Jazeera documentary. We'll be posting it on our social accounts at AJ the Take on Twitter and Instagram. This episode was produced by Nagin Oliai with Alexandra Locke, Dina Kispe, Oni Wohacha, Priyanka Tilbe, Ney Alvarez, and Amy Walters. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Natalia Aldana is our engagement producer. And Stacey Samuel is our executive producer. We'll be back.